Welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who has been to Seattle, but has always managed to sleep there. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How are you doing? Doing good. Funny you say that. I actually watched Sleepless in Seattle for the first time like two weeks ago. You like it? Uh, it, it was a good movie. It was a different plot than, than I thought. I actually thought it was like, I don't know, like a couple that meets in Seattle or something. I don't know. I didn't realize how layered the plot actually was. Um, and, and I also thought it was an older movie. It's like 1991. Well, that was. I thought it was an, an 80s film. I was thinking Tom Hanks. You look at the difference in just quality. Like Sleepless in Seattle was shot like an 80s film, and Forrest Gump like looks more like a 90s film. It's my take. Oh, interesting film take. You know that was like the very beginning of Hanks's prime, really. And mm-hmm. uh, you know when we talk about Miguel Cabrera a lot on this podcast this year. You write about it, and he's obviously well past his prime. I think Miguel Cabrera right now is a better baseball player is than Tom Hanks, an actor. He hasn't really had that many, you know, Tom Hanks hits these past five, six years. That's my has, has, has he been in many movies? I feel like Tom Hanks uh, is one of those the, guys that doesn't really make a bad movie. Do you remember movie, the Elvis movie? Did you see the Elvis movie? Oh, yeah, the like, movie sucked. I didn't even know he was in it, He, he played, like, Elvis's agent or whatever. Okay, yeah, it was not a good movie. It was not, not good. He's white, you know. He was that clip right there. Oh, that's right. In a, okay. In a fat okay. suit or fat CGI? I don't know. Regardless. Okay. Well, now, yeah. Now that we are on topic here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, you didn't think you were gonna get a film take here at the beginning. That's why you come to turning the corner. And <laughs> <laughs> another, uh, another Tigers week of some pretty nice baseball and some pretty. Not, 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 not. If, 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 if they could just play the Chicago White Sox every series, they'd be having a damn good. Game. You know, should should Illich like petition the league to kind of go through like college uh, athletics rules where you know your conference record is like in this case the division is more important than uh, your overall record? Maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we made all these changes in baseball. You know, might as well change how we do playoff seating you it, know, is, it is hilarious it is absurd that the tigers are going to win the season series against all four al central opponents first time they have done that since 2011 and it is an absurd testament to how horrendous the al central is that the tigers are still going to finish third in this division they are seven and 25 against the al east can't beat anyone outside their own division <laughs> but they are they are beating up AL Central competition. Well, this is the perfect like example of like with the new scheduling. You know, it used to be like you got to make sure you can you have a lineup that can match up well against the teams you play the most, right? Your divisional opponents, and you know, balance the scales have tipped a little bit against that. So you know, that, that... Uh, and, and if you, you know, like, we're gonna talk, of course, it's September. We're gonna talk about the future throughout this episode. I, I'm not getting psyched about next year's team like i think it's probably going to be a really young team i don't think there are going to be a lot of big ads externally this offseason pending a kind of a surprise trade but it's like this division is so bad i don't know all it takes is a couple things to go right and you win 86 games and that might be like the al central i don't think is going to be improved next year like, the White Sox are going to get worse. The Royals aren't going to magically get better. I, I, the Twins and Guardians seem content to do what they're doing. So if 
you want to be optimistic for next year. I don't think it's about how much better the Tigers are going to be, but they should be a little bit better in a division that's going to stay really freaking bad. I mean, the White Sox this weekend. I mean, that was it's an embarrassment. That was it's sad. That was like the first, like that was the first time. I know it's like late in the year. I probably should have come to this realization sooner, but that was the first time that I kind of let myself admit, oh, these aren't like the Tigers killers White Sox anymore. You know what I mean? Like, like the you know seeing Tim Anderson. Like he doesn't strike fear in. I still respect him overall with his reputation, but he doesn't strike fear in me. I mean, I, there's been a lot He's of guys. A shell that, of himself. Like, right a lot now. of guys have fallen off fast. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Josh Hamilton at the end. Like it's like there was a time where you were like scared of Josh Hamilton when he came to play, and then just all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, well that's you know, it's Hamilton, I guess. Well, you know, whatever you might get one. Uh, Silver guys, on the, uh, uh, that's how I feel about the White Sox as a whole. Like I no longer have that mental hurdle uh, with yeah. them anymore. They just so many bad I think players. Tim Anderson will go back to being a dude as soon as he gets a change of scenery. I mean, he just acts like a guy who doesn't want to be there, and I can't say I blame him. And if you don't want to be with your current team during the course of a baseball season, there's just not a lot of outs. There's not like <laughs> a lot of, you know, it's not a short season. You know, there's not a lot of like downtime, like away from, you know, coaches, players, like all, you know, front office, like all that stuff. Like it's, it it is it can be really rough uh, if you let it, and we'll actually kind of get to that general topic a little bit later. But today, Cody belonged to a guy that maybe talk about the future, maybe a part of the future. We got to see Sawyer Gibson Long make his major league debut. Would you call that like a half mullet? You know, like uh, you know, kind of yeah, half mullet mustache combo. You know, kind of looked like uh. Looks like a nice Midwestern ball player, I'll say that. And from Georgia, he's a Georgia boy. Well, you know, it's how you look and where you're from could be two different things. But he just kind of looked like he was. I think it's. I think it's a Georgia thing too. Yeah, like yeah. It's kind of. Yeah, you know. well, maybe a little country, a little country aspect. You know? Yeah, the guy yeah, looks yeah. like he's had a lot of corn in his life, and you know, I mean that as a compliment. So he went five innings, five Ks. You know, seemed all right. Seemed all right to me. What do you think? I uh, I thought he was uh, really good, actually. Um, you know, it was a guy I kind of liked since I started paying closer attention to him. But really, I think I'd only seen him throw in person uh, a little bit in spring training. So it was kind of the closest look I had. And, man, his changeup was pretty dynamite. And his slider was pretty good. Like, he had both those pitches working early and often. He's always been known for pumping a lot of strikes. Uh, not overwhelming stuff. But if, if he keeps the secondary pitches working like that, he can be a major league starter. I don't know exactly, you know, he, I think he projects probably to be a little more fringe, but the Tigers have been encouraged in the strides he's made this year. Also added a sinker and a cutter that he didn't go to a lot um, Sunday, but I, I think we could see more of that cutter going forward. That was a pitch that really helped him get to the big leagues this year. Um, and Hey, Another another posthumous victory for Al Avila, right? <laughs> Reese Olsen, ooh, no hits through six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sawyer Gibson Long, perfect through his first three and a third. Really nice major league debut. Alex Lang, back to being a guy. Close the game Sunday. Uh, all three Al Avila trade acquisitions, baby. <laughs> you know, if... In order to be, you know, you work in baseball so long, you get to, you know, the top of the mountain in terms of what the position, you know, in the game is, and you got to have something you can hang your hat on. And and Al clearly liked his, uh, 
pitching mid pitching prospects for rentals. <laughs> he, he yes, you know? <laughs> and, and those are ended up being the best trades of his tenure. Perhaps they're not amazing, but you know when when Michael Fulmer went to the Twins, I was like, who is this Gibson Long guy? He had a seven ERA in Double A at the time. He had only thrown you know a few outings in Double A, but it's kind of like like no one cared. It was kind of like all right. And then gets along, guy who quietly was probably underrated, and a guy who has quietly improved over the last year and a half, and now like is you know gonna gonna contend for more innings in the major leagues. That's that's a, a good thing, regardless of if you you want to credit Al or not. Um, testament to to Gibson Long, an unheralded guy, been unheralded his whole life, and just made his major league debut. Um, pretty cool, and and if he throws strikes like that. How's the secondaries working like that? He can continue to get innings in the major leagues. So yeah, just a little background info. He was a sixth round pick in 2019, which means that he also got screwed by the COVID pandemic in terms of his uh, career trajectory. And he stands. He also, fun fact, uh, I didn't even include this in my story. I learned so much about him. He didn't even pitch a full season in the minors right after he was drafted in 19 uh, because he went back to finish his, his degree. Um, that was very important to him. He's like a pre-med major. I think he eventually plans to go back to medical school. Um, so really from 19 to 20, he had barely gotten off the ground in terms of his minor league career. All right. So you got a guy that in some ways is still kind of tapping into his arsenal, his potential and, you know, he is 25, but he'll turn 26 this year. About to be 26. Yeah, yeah, so he's about to turn 26. So he's right in that age range for a lot of these Tigers players of kind of, you know, where what, what do we got here? And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more. But he's also, you know, happy for him. It was great to see see his uh, mom being interviewed on TV and uh, the family. I don't know who all was there from his, from his group or whatever, but them all kind of having their phones out as he walks off the mound the tigers fans give him an applause you know that's that was that was a great sight but it, it it's funny that he gets called up the number 19 prospect uh according to mlb pipeline uh, in the uh, organization he gets called up kind of a basically a week after we talked and spent 30 minutes kind of hashing out tigers and their handling of top prospects and <laughs> And, you know, this is, I think they said on the graphic, the sixth Tiger to make his Major League debut this year. And basically none of them outside of Parker have been the the yearning prospects, right? And, and last week we talked a lot about Justin Henry Malloy and Colt Keith, which side note about Gibson Long, I always love people with hyphen names. So Justin Henry Malloy, <laughs> Gibson Long, like, Love it. So I messed I messed that up on Twitter because of Justin Henry Malloy. I got used to a hyphen in mm-hmm. the guy's first name, and I put Sawyer Gibson. No, no, I knew better. It was just like I've written Justin Henry so many times this year that um, I guess that's now how I'm hyphenating names. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it it, it also just kind of I don't know. We've had a week to kind of reflect on that conversation, Cody, and I think a lot of people yeah. like the way that we were we were talking about it and. I don't know if I've come to any different conclusions, me personally. I still want to see Jay Hen up. I I would say Jay Hen over Colt Keith just for age purposes. Uh, 
and the things I talked about last week about spending a whole year in AAA. But I wonder if there is a little bit more meth. Like, did we get we get caught up in these discussions sometimes? You know, we we don't really do yeah. like we don't do like takes and then redo things. It's basically a live podcast. We just edit it and put it out. So I, I'm I'm kind of wondering if we were just were we a little over eager? Were we a little dismissive of like of the narrative that obviously Scott has put out there with like being patient with some of these guys and what the bigger picture is and all that stuff. I just kind of want to, I just wonder if we should give it a little bit more credence. I don't know. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think it's worth revisiting. I'll just say like, I was able to have some further conversations with people around the tigers this week to, I don't know that I learned a lot, but kind of reaffirm what their thinking is. And I don't think that that necessarily makes me change my opinion, uh, but my job is more to report information than it is to to have an opinion. Um, so I'll just tell you, like the Tigers, like I don't think there's any ulterior motive. I don't think it's a service time thing. I don't think it's a tanking thing. I don't think it, you know, what whatever else. Like last week I was kind of like, I just don't get why these guys aren't up or why isn't Malloy up? Well, the reason is the Tigers seem to legitimately believe that Another month in the big in the minor leagues will be better for these players than another month in the big leagues. Um, you know, I think we went into it kind of of the mind, like why wouldn't you get a guy a month of big league at bats, see what he can do, let him acclimate a little bit. Is it really going to impact like how much he improves defensively? The Tigers seem to think it will help these guys improve defensively more if they can get targeted individual work in Toledo. You don't have to worry about the third deck. You can keep raking offensively, honestly, versus the the potential of coming to the majors. You fall on your face at the plate. You start worrying about what's going on at the plate. Suddenly, it's not so focused on your defense. So it seems like the Tigers are, are pretty intent on really hammering in the defense, uh, letting them continue to rake at AAA for another month. And, you know, we've seen it all all year, like Scott Harris is not going to be the GM who rushes prospects to the big leagues. So far, he's been quite the opposite. He's going to be really, really conservative, make sure these guys are really, really ready. And I don't know if that's right or wrong. If, if I were in charge, I think I would lean more toward the aggressive side. But uh, time will maybe tell us the answer. It's seeming like this is the new MO of the Tigers to really wait to be really conservative in terms of promoting prospects. So I still would like to see like at least Malloy, uh, but there is a method to the reason. Like there are reasons the Tigers are doing uh, things the way they are doing. So here's my fear slash excitement. For, and I'm just, for the sake of this thought process, going to say they don't get called up this year. They being yeah. Keith and Malloy. My fear for them, and kind of excitement for me, for us, for next spring training, is they're going to have the daily updates. Every at-bat in spring training for Malloy and Keith is going to be heavily scrutinized. Every uh, ground ball, every, I don't know if they put either of them in the outfield or whatever, every fly ball, every mechanic is going to be heavily scrutinized in spring training. And we know how a spring train is and B how like AJ Hinch, like looks at it um, as well. And now, and then you kind of put this like 
fighting to make the team thing. Then we got to talk about the calling of, you know, the calling up of prospects. We got to have the draft pick compensation conversation. And there's kind of like a lot of this extra stuff that I think is kind of putting on them in by what five months or whatever for mm-hmm. uh for when they're trying to get to the big leagues and and i just i just feel like if there's a way to alleviate some of that hoopla it would be giving them at bat so like i'm excited to be able to follow it and talk about it and to read what you uh what you write but at the same time i just kind of feel like that's also a little extra pressure and now scott harris for his perspective is gonna have to answer all these conversations about compensation and and you know new rules and aj hinch is gonna have to look and it's like if you kind of eliminate some of that, you make things a little a little clear, if that makes sense. So yeah. I'm just kind of thinking of other yeah, stuff yeah, that I think it's a little here. less pressure for these guys coming in next spring if they've already had a taste of the big leagues, right? Um, another kind of downstream effect, like and a, a thing I saw some positive and negative takes on, well, Tigers don't have to use 40-man spots on these guys just yet. Um, which theoretically could give Scott Harris a little more room to maneuver this offseason. Uh, I don't really buy that because I think the Tigers have plenty of expendable room on the 40-man anyway, probably going to be a lot more shuffling this offseason, probably be some guys who are non-tendered. Uh, I don't think the Tigers are going to be s- rushing out to sign a bunch of free agents, so I, I don't think 40-man spots should stop. Uh, Scott Harris from his like waiver wire claims that he might want to make because I I just think like the 40 man isn't good enough for it to actually be that crowded right now. But, you know, and and I I really don't think that that is like Scott Harris is thinking that he's like, if I get these two extra 40 man spots, I can do so much more this offseason. I don't think he's up in his office, like crafting it that way. Maybe it is a small factor. Like if you if you want to look for a good thing, like maybe it gives you a little more room to take a flyer on an extra guy and bring him into spring training or something. Uh, I like to think the Tigers should soon kind of get past that thinking and be about like let's put good players on the forty man roster. Um, but that is another you know uh, piece of this puzzle to kind of consider. The counterpoint maybe for Scott's perspective is we're not good enough to not have as many options at my disposal as possible. And, you know, like, and so I just want to keep, I, w- I just want to have as many tools as I can to try to build this roster. Like I, I, again, I can see that. Uh, but I did have a thought and this was spurned by your colleague, Jim Bowden, putting out his list of prospects that he expects to, I think it was like pop, I think was a term he used uh, in 2024. Now it wasn't like, prospects to the majors it was just like prospects in general uh but number five on that list yeah jace young who i actually really look forward to being able to talk about jace young a lot more next year in you know whatever capacity uh because i think i think he's done everything basically right in terms of his process to getting up to the major leagues i don't think there's anything wrong with him other than the holes in his game that we already knew about but he's raking he's got you know what was it 25 home runs this season i think maybe more and it got me thinking you know is jace like what's the percentage chance that jace gets called up to the big leagues faster in 2024 than colt keith did this year which would that we would assume not 
so not get called up. Like, is Jace Young going to essentially, what's the percentage chance he gets called up next year? Because, you know, I'm looking at that second base spot. It, it's rather vacant. And eventually, mm-hmm. like, his bat is just going to be too too good to not bring up, I think. And he's also a more mature person physically because he's older. You know, that's just the general nature. He's a college guy. Uh, so, like, in terms of his trajectory in the minor leagues, I mean. But, like, I, I just kind of feel like he's going to be knocking on the door and we're going to have the same conversation next year. And are we going to be able to buy it? Because I don't know if we can stand it for two years in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting question. I mean, I would like to think he'll be up, you know, sooner than because Keith's not going to get up at all. Right. Keith started this year in double A young. I assume will probably start next year in triple A. He's really raked since going to Erie, hitting 285, 13 homers and only 41 games. Um, you know, and some of it will depend on other factors, such as Colt Keith, such as uh, Justin Henry Malloy. Is Malloy playing on the dirt or in the grass? Um, if Keith is playing a lot of second and Malloy is playing a lot of outfield, would you then move Keith to third to open second for Young? Uh, this is the Tigers, so I would not at all be surprised if we start seeing Young move around at some other positions, perhaps including third base. He played third base a little bit at Tech. I, I was under the impression, you know, his arm couldn't play there, but um, that might not be 100% true. It seems like a very Tigers thing. Uh, <laughs> so I can see the early part of next year, like Jace Young playing around at some different positions and that being a factor um into all of this so like i guess the quick answer is i don't know but i think in an ideal world he continues to rake in toledo and next year's team i think it's going to be a really young team uh that gives me a little bit of pause because we've seen usually takes young players a while to really start hitting in the major leagues but at some point, if you're going to go all young, I think you, you you go Cincinnati Reds and you kind of double down on it and, and you just get your guys up here and you, you, you let it play out. Um, so that would be kind of my... By the way, it sounds fun. I'm all for fun. You know, it sounds fun. I, fun. I actually have a, uh, a little philosophical question. Now, I want to be clear. It's inspired by the scouting report of Jace Young. I have never watched him play in person. I watched him in college, but that's different. That's a couple of years ago now. Uh, so just as a general principle thing, not specific to him, but it might apply. Would you rather have below average mobility at second or below average arm at third? What do you think about that? I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good baseball question. Uh, I mean, you want neither, <laughs> right? If you have to choose one... Oof. Oof. And especially prevalent, obviously no shifts. I mean, I yeah. Yeah, I like I want to say um mobility at second is more important, but then I think of it like if you have a good shortstop, you can, you can almost live with like less mobility at second. Like a weak arm at third, number one it's not something you see very often cuz you have to have a strong arm to play third. Like if you you're just throwing, you know, lazy noodles across the diamond. That's going to limit your ability to make backhand plays, to make plays on slow rollers, to 
like it's almost harder to picture because I feel like you just don't see it very often where you have seen teams, you have a guy who's, you know, he's an infielder. He can't really move enough for the outfield, but he's not a first baseman. And like, we've seen bad fielding second baseman in the game before or second baseman, even like a Jonathan scope who isn't really mobile, but he can make some plays and scope had a strong arm for second base and that made him good defensively. So I'm almost saying I, I don't want a weak arm. I right? actually, as you were talking, I was trying to find a way to say I'd rather have the weak arm at third. Uh, I, but I can't. Like I was trying to think. Oh well, maybe you can manipulate the. <laughs> you know, you can move around more at third in terms of where your positioning is than second. Than second in terms of making up for some stuff, I think. But at the same time, you're you're going to leave a lot of outs on the field if you have a below-average arm at third. I mean, just think of every baseball game. Is there not a strong throw from third to yeah. six a game? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think who's, like, the weakest arm third baseman I've ever seen. And I'm sure I'm, like, forgetting someone obvious, but no one's really, like, coming to mind. Is like, oh, yeah, remember that guy who had a just a complete noodle at third base? Like, no one's leaping to my brain. Yeah. And also the that. best third baseman are – mobile as well right so like that's not not yeah. to say that you don't need mobility at third base so i don't know it's just a fun little thing that, that, that's I, I imagine these are conversations that are going on in the tigers front office for sure uh r- real quick cody uh, as we kind of talk about things in the future a little bit we did get another update regarding austin meadows is very basic uh credit to the tigers credit to austin for you know, just not leaving things hanging, I guess. Uh, but he's not going to be with the team the rest of the year, and I don't think any proclamations are, I mean, not necessary, not needed. Uh, but he, he still kind of remains like he's got to take care of himself, and then you just kind of figure it out from there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like obviously the Tigers came out and said, hey, he's, he's done for the season. Um which was kind of obvious, but they, they took down his locker. Um, Sawyer gets along now has the, the locker that once belonged to Meadows. That was kind of an occasion to say something a little more formal about it. You know, AJ said, Hey, we gotta, we gotta support him and we will continue to support him. Um, that's good. But I'm like, they're he's probably going to get non-tendered. Right. So it's been awkward the whole time. Like, how do you really talk about it? Um, you know, I think the Tigers and Austin have handled this thing well, but I just don't see a way you can feel comfortable paying him next year. Yeah, and again, how they handle this will be, you know, it's going to be part of the organization's direction, you know, under Scott Harris and, and AJ Hinch as they work together. Like right? everything they do is sort of like a precedent. You want to be able, you want to be an organization that's going to take care of players, right? And and this is. We always think about the pauses of taking care of players, like the cooler clubhouse and the the plane that doesn't have the cigarette disposal, you know. But but these are like sort of like the other things that are necessary if you want to be a player forward organization. So uh, unfortunate. Hopefully, again, hope hopefully everything's all right. But uh, you know, hope he's hope he still has favor with the organization and is watching the games and and seeing you know his teammates and especially his brother perform, you know. And hopefully that brings a little. Uh, a little smile to his face because it's still an incredible thing that uh you know this year the tiger they didn't play together but the tigers had two brothers on the team on, on the team this year so uh still kind of neat hope the family is uh is doing well 
And as usual, weird transitions. Sorry, I was kind of going through the notes of uh, of the Tigers right now. Uh, Matt Manning, you know, speaking of things that you feel bad about, Matt Manning took a, line, a, a liner off his foot. I think I heard or saw or read that it was the second hardest exit velo um, in, in baseball this season. And it was basically in the same spot, according to him, uh, as the first uh, first broken foot or whatever the technical term was. Fracture, I don't remember what the technical term was. I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, but injury. And he will be out the rest of the year. And he was 5-4 and four this year, Cody. He had 15 starts. He had a 3.58 ERA. All that to say, we didn't really learn anything about Matt Manning this year because it the same things just kind of keep happening to him and some of it you know is his own doing in terms of like his execution of individual pitches not the injuries but like the execution of his individual pitches his development like all this stuff like he controls that but the uncontrollable with matt manning uh it's tough it's tough for him i'm sure and it's tough for the tigers in terms of trying to forecast everything and uh and it's tough for us as fans and people who write about talk about think about uh the team to try to like kind of wrap our arms about around what is matt manning and unfortunately we're going to get no more evidence to try to find an answer the rest of this year yeah yeah a couple things you know my my girlfriend was like is there something he's doing that led him to get hit in the the foot twice or like should pitchers be wearing something protective on their foot and i was like I don't think so. Like, I think this is the most freak thing I've ever seen. A guy breaks his foot twice in one year off comebackers. Like, I'm pretty sure that's out of his control. You know, like that is terrible, terrible luck. It's horrible. Uh, at the same time, it's like, all right, it's not his fault. He didn't stay healthy this year. You know, it's not even an arm thing, but we just have not seen this guy pitch consistent baseball and, you know, you read off a three five four ERA or three five eight, and you're like, oh, that you know, that's pretty good. And then you look at the metrics, and every metric except his extension is pretty terrible. Expected ERA of five point four four, so that would indicate he had extreme good luck that probably would not have been sustainable. Based on my eye test, I kind of felt like he was due for a blow up start any time out. Uh, like we saw some good things, but I don't know, like for the millionth time, Matt Manning remains a little bit of a puzzle to me. And I fear if there's anything close to an actual answer, that that is the answer itself, that Matt Manning's just going to be a puzzle, a pitcher who doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and, uh, will he ever stay consistently healthy? Who knows? I don't think he's going to get hit by two comebackers in the same spot in his foot um, ever again in his career. But, like, weird injury for a weird pitcher in terms of his performance. 45 career starts. 45 career starts. And he's going to turn – he'll be 26 by the time next spring training rolls around uh, next year. So yeah, that's good Gibson news. Long he's, like, younger than Sawyer Gibson Long. Uh so still plenty of room, you know, <laughs> still plenty young in the grand scheme of things. And, and you don't have to worry about coming off an arm injury. Yeah. Like, you know, as soon as the bone heals, he should be able to just kind of go through 
a relatively normal, I would say, off-season routine, and you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to worry about the arm in the way that, obviously, Casey Mize, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. So, uh, but it's tough. It, it's a guy that I, he seems like a cool dude, and I always kind of like, I, I like this story, like the multi-sport athlete thing, and the first round pick, and you're just kind of taking a chance on, on on the profile. I liked that at the time, and it's not like he, you know, like he he didn't have like real missteps in the way, you know, there was no bust potential in terms of like the investment in the pick, like in the lead up to him getting into the major leagues, and uh, I was just excited to be able to kind of see it, you know, or see that I didn't see it. And it just, we just kind of keep being in the middle with him and, and it sucks. And I'm, and I'm sure he was, I mean, the, the image of him, the video of him fielding that ball, throwing it to first, and then just kind of throwing his hands up and saying a word that we could use if we wanted to, but we keep this clean, uh, you know, in, in Yankee stadium, which I know it's not the Yankee stadium, but you know, still Yankee stadium, you know, like that, just like all these series of events it's just you know it's terrible and uh, you'll you feel for the guy but at least there's no lingering concerns with the injury at least in terms of his long-term uh yeah i'm gonna read off a couple more stats that make me pessimistic for matt manning's future (laughs) 5.77 strikeouts per nine innings a babip this season of 214 which is extremely low. Um, so generally, BABIP's going to fluctuate a lot. If, if Like, there's a lot of luck that goes into that, essentially. The thing you can control is striking people out. So if you're not striking people out, you are subject to the randomness of batted balls. Unless, perhaps, you're going to fare a little better if you were an elite ground ball pitcher. Matt Manning. 38% ground ball rate, 46% fly ball rate. He's more of a fly ball pitcher, uh, which does not lead itself to as favorable of results in the long term. I think it'd be hard for any analyst in a front office to look at that profile and be like, oh yeah, like that guy's going to have a big uh, 2024. I know wins are meaningless, but it is just like, and it's also glaring to look at his baseball reference page and see in parts of three seasons 11 wins yeah you know what i mean it's just yeah. like it, it, wins it, don't matter yeah they don't matter but it's just it is just kind of weird to see like the, the the baseball card stat or whatever you know like 11 career wins going into year four like that's just weird uh another guy cody that perhaps will be shut down maybe we'll, we'll probably get more information by the time uh this podcast will be freshly released and we might get some information about riley green uh he had that dive last saturday and right elbow inflammation which you know i guess is good that's not his throwing arm but it, it it doesn't really seem like anybody is really trying to figure out like the front office the way guys are talking not the front office but like aj like the way they talk about it, it doesn't really seem like they're yeah. trying to get him back like with any urgency uh so i guess that begs the question do we need we talked about all those guys earlier in the podcast, you know, getting major league at bats. Riley is still way young enough to where these are quality opportunities if he were to come back. Uh, but but is it necessary? Is it worth it? Especially with 
his injuries tend to be wear and tear injuries, right? So it, I, I think that's going to play into it. I wouldn't be upset at all if, if they shut him down in terms of, like, the decision. I'd be upset not being able to watch him, but, like, I, I, I would get that. Yeah, I, I, you know? I think it's the same as what I said on Casey Mize. Like, if he's physically able to play, he should play. If he's not, like, there's no sense in rushing him. Now, if it, the, the swelling goes down and, like, the MRI doesn't re- reveal any injury, like, there's no reason for him to not play. Uh, but there's also no reason to push him. I think it'd be cool to see Riley get a few more bats, see this green torque carpenter together in the lineup, because um, that's something that can make you feel good about next year's team. But ultimately, it probably doesn't really have any bearing one way or another. Uh, watching Riley dive for that ball, tremendous play, but then, then come up hurt. It does lead to that unfortunate thought like, what at what point in time do we start using the, the phrase injury prone? Um, you know, and almost similar, like Matt Manning can't control getting hit in the foot twice. Riley Green, like it's not his fault that he dove, made an amazing play, uh, a high impact play, and then comes up hurt. But at the same time, sports, life, it's kind of weird. Like some people get hurt and some people don't, you know. Um, not Riley Green's fault he fouled a ball off his foot. The stress fracture, that's a little more like a wear and tear thing that his age seems like a little bit of a red flag to me. Um, but even the fall, like they're, they're like some center fielders can take that fall and get up and some don't. And at the end of the day, I think that's a little bit random, like who that happens to and who it doesn't. You really, really, really hope that Riley Green can give you a full season next year at full health, and and you can just feel good that this isn't a guy whose promising young career could potentially be derailed by injuries. High impact. I think that's the best way to put it, because obviously his potential is that of a high-impact player, but these, the way he plays is high-impact. I'm talking about on the joints. You know, I'm mm-hmm. talking about on, on the neck and the back or whatever. You're hitting the wall and, and obviously just, you know, I know it's grass, but, you know, running down these fly balls is also pressure on the ankles and, you know, the feet. And, like, all these things. He's a high-impact player by every stretch of, uh, of the phrase. The argument against or the argument for kind of slowing him in if you're going to bring him in at all is all right well now we have even less reason not to just kind of throw parker meadows into uh in, into the fire even more and give him more opportunity to kind of or give him the the first look at winning a job next year if if if, if you want to put something in people's minds or whatever and and so, like, if he gets more at-bats as a result of this, I like, it's not going to be a bad thing for Parker, I would say. So I, I think that kind of plays into it. High says of urgency for Parker Meadows, I think, as we call Parker it. Meadows, by the way, already hitting a little rut. Uh, average down to 206, 21 strikeouts, 8 walks, and he's in an 04, I don't know, 16, 18 spells, something to that effect. Not... Uh, necessarily something I didn't expect, but in my opinion, like another reason, all right, you bring up Malloy and Keith and they haven't been in the big leagues before pretty good chance. They're going to hit a rut early on next year. Like, I just feel like with young hitters, this is something you, you got to get out of the way. And uh, Parker Meadows is going through it right now. Good point. Uh, all right. Well, let's sh- shift gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about the future 
on this podcast. Let's talk about the past. This week, Cody, you and one of your colleagues kind of combined for a look back at the 2003 Detroit Tigers, a, a team that, uh, like, I was 10 years old at the time, so that's like the first team that I can remember, like, I, like, I remember Mike Maroth. I remember, like, his, him refusing to come out of, uh, 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 like, missed starts or whatever. I remember Dimitri Young and, like, always hitting home runs with him in MVP baseball. He's one of my favorites. Uh, I, I remember a lot of the guys from that team really well. And because it was, like, the first team that I really <laughs> followed. And, and it got really interesting at the end there. And you chronicled this very well. Uh, in the story, and then also like the legacy aspect of it with Trammell and Gibby uh, being on the bench, and you know my dad, he was living in California during the '84 World Series and all that stuff. So like he always he feels, although the '68 team is number one for him, he does feel like a kind of special connection because he was in the region for their second World Series of his lifetime, you know. So uh, like the reverence that he has for those guys, like it, it brought back a flood of early memories. Some of the first ones where I kind of remember thinking like clearly, if that makes sense, you know, I feel like you're about that age where you start kind of yeah. choosing things a little bit more. And, uh, and, and so it was a fun walk down memory. I wonder if you could just kind of take us through like the reporting of that story. And uh, if there's a reason beyond, you know, the 20 anniversary feeling old. Uh, of that team, if you ha- if you had any memories of, of that uh, of that run at the time uh, for you growing up in the the great city of Amarillo, Texas, and and anything you learned because it works out that you got access to AJ Hinch, you know, who was on that team and and all that stuff. So uh, as pitiful of that team was, just bottom line, it was kind of like a feel good. <laughs> it was a feel good story in, in many ways. Yeah, it was I awesome. mean, I think. You know, 20th anniversary is the reason uh, Stephen Nesbitt and I wrote this story. But since the day I started covering the Tigers, it is a team, I think, with such a fascinating legacy because you hear about it all the time. You're Craig Monroe, who I talked to for this story. Talk, he talks about it on the broadcast all the time. 2003 was terrible, but, you know, this was a long year. But uh, Alan Trammell talks about it. in 2003, he went, went through all this, but. The guys who stuck around learned a lot, a lot from that year. And three years later, of course, they were they were in the World Series. And even the guys that didn't stick around, it, it is interesting because the year had this positive ending where they win five out of six games, where they come back and win on a strikeout wild pitch to avoid uh, breaking the record for most losses in the season. And they dogpile. You know, the only 110 plus loss team to ever dogpile on the second to last day of the season, as far as I know. Um, so I think that makes it fascinating. Um, it was it was really fun talking to people and putting this story together. Really interesting hearing out. you're talking to guys who lost 119 games and everyone seems to look back on it with like a certain level of fondness. Um, yeah, it was hard. Yeah. You know, I, I did learn a lot about just the amount of early work and pregame stuff they did. AJ Hinch said it was almost like instructional league. Kurt Gibson was like, some of these guys should have been in Lakeland. Um, and I think that was the other thing was something I, I hadn't really considered was like Trammell and Gibby and Lance Parrish. You had these winners, these champions who were on this coaching staff. And it must've been kind of crazy to see them in a losing environment like that. 
And I liked what Craig Monroe said. He said, you know, that was kind of a point of pride and, and you, you didn't want to feel like you were letting them down. And especially that last week, that was an extra motivator. He said, you know, the guy's name is on the effing wall. Like you want to, you wanted to win for them. Uh, so it was clear the players had a lot of respect for Tram and, and Gibby. It's obviously unfortunate that uh, Alan Trammell's managerial career kind of was what it was. The guy had no talent to work with and, and that was that um, kind of sucks looking back. And I think it, it, it probably hurts Tram a little more than he'd let on for such a positive guy. I think he obviously wishes, you know, things had been a little different in his time as a manager. But I, I think all these things also work out for the best. Like, I think the role Tram is in right now is probably perfect for him where he just gets to go around and work with young guys. So those are all interesting things in terms of growing up. Like I remember it too, as a, as a, um, you know, TBS Braves fan, I had a much happier childhood, you know, a one Oh two Oh three Braves were probably the teams I have the most emotional attachment to and, uh, much better teams than your Oh three Tigers Kieran. But I remember, you know, it was a national storyline. Like I remember, are they going to be the worst team ever? And that was something that kind of made you tune in. And I, I do remember, loosely kind of following it down the stretch and being like, Oh, I wonder if the tigers will be the worst ever. And uh, sure enough, they weren't. <laughs> well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I referenced, I still have here in my office to the, to my right, a uh, hat. Mike Maroth is on go. that hat along with Kenny Rogers. Cause uh, he was still on that 06 team. And then he, uh, you know, at least at the beginning and, uh, I, I think, I don't remember what the actual transaction was. I should have looked this up, but he was like, not on the roster. I don't think it was on the playoff roster, mm-hmm. but he still like traveled. Cause I remember him being like in the dugout and like all that stuff. And I, I remember like really, really happy for him in 06, you know, and, and Craig Monroe the same way. And, and Brandon Inge, you know, went through yeah. a position change and, 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 and all this stuff. Like that was a team, like you, you can very much credit the, like the 06 run to some of the stuff that they experienced in 03. And I'll, yeah, I love Dan Dickerson's call of Maglio's home run to send them to the World Series in 06. And he says, and I'm going to paraphrase here, one of the most remarkable turnarounds in American League history. And it's true. And there's Trammell leaves after 05, 06, they go to the World Series. Or not, not leaves, he gets fired, obviously. But like, you know. You know, they go to the World Series, and I think in Pudge's autobiography, like, he talked about some of that, too. Now, he wasn't on the 03 mm-hmm. team, of course, but he talked about the impact Trammell had as a manager. And at the time, Trammell was on the Hall of Fame, and it was also kind of partially a, you know, Trammell ought to be in the Hall of Fame thing or whatever. And so, like, the in- the impact went way beyond the win-loss for, the- for that team, and... As I'm going through the story and I'm kind of remembering things myself, uh, a couple of thoughts came to my mind. One of them was, whew, man. <sighs> Sometimes, like the past couple of years, I felt bad for you know some of the TV people, like the desk people and, and, and Dan. You know, like not to say like they don't enjoy their job or whatever, but obviously it's not as fun to cover a team that just has that is showing nothing, right? And Dan and Jim Price, that was very early in their I believe that was uh, Dan's first full career. season taking over for Ernie Harwell. It was it f- first? Oh. Here we go, Dan. Yeah. 119 and, losses. Yeah, and they had, and it was for, yeah their first time without the legend, and that's and they referenced they referenced it a little bit this year at random times, you know. Uh, so I was like that. That's so you want to be a major league baseball play by play guy, you know. And another thing that kind of struck me is. Because we live it day to day, we don't just feel the need to kind of like 
talk about it and say it out loud. But this was another example of what a great kind of baseball family Detroit is in regards to the fans and the people in the organization, even ones that haven't kind of been around all that all that long. Like, there's a million scenarios where the legendary player that won a World Series comes to be the manager and the win-loss record stinks. Mm-hmm. And he's... N- something happens either with the fans or with the front office, ownership, whatever, where you more or less have severed ties with the organization if you're that player. And obviously that's not Trammell. Like, no, no, like, Trammell yeah. is, you, because of the emotions displayed in the story, which you're, you're an athletic subscriber you can read, is, I would say, that's even more endearing to Tigers fans that he was the manager for that team, you know? And you see, like, the, the Craig Monroe quote that you just put, you know, his name's on the effing wall, like, the respect they had for him. And so, like, I just, that was just another example. Even Kirk Gibson, I know it was different ownership, but, like, he left that org, and I know he came back later in his career, I know all these things, but, like, he left the organization under really bad circumstances uh, before he became a, you know, icon to baseball in general a couple, uh, in 1988. So, like, it's just another example of the Tigers family. It kind of made me feel warm, you know? Like, all these guys are still around. Lance Parrish, Petrie, you know? Like, Craig Monroe, that's, like, the next wave, you know what I mean? Cameron, all these guys have kind of come in this year. Todd Jones on the 06 team. Uh, like, you know, A.J. Hinch is a guy who left and came back, you know? Like, it, it's, it just kind of made me feel like, man, this is actually kind of like a... The Detroit Fire Tigers family, it's, it's, it, it's pretty loving, it's pretty broad, and uh, it kind of, I think, reflects the city a little bit, to be honest. Like, I, I'm, I always separate myself from someone who, you know, grew up in, uh, in Detroit and experienced some of the city hardships and all that stuff, but the, the ethos are ones I try to follow and respect to the highest, and it just kind of seems to me like a reflection of all of that, and, and so I thought, I thought it was an awesome story. It brought me back down to, uh, to memory lane, and it also made me feel appreciative of, uh, some of the teams we've had the past couple of years because <laughs> at the, you know, those guys didn't have a Riley green to look forward to, you know, they didn't have a Spencer Torkelson to look forward to, uh, per se, you know, like it's, it, so it was, it was really fun to read and, uh, really glad that you went ahead and, uh, reported on that story. All right, Cody, I kind of want to end on this a little bit. This is really random. I haven't talked to you about it in advance, so this will be People will be listening to your raw reaction. There was like a weird thing this week where George Kirby comes into the seventh inning and he's it's like 102nd pitch. He entered the inning with uh, 93 pitches or whatever. And he gives up, was it the game time home run? And <laughs> yeah. he kind of goes and, and talks to, or maybe it was a go ahead home run. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think it was go ahead, yeah. He talks to reporters, and he says that he didn't want to, shouldn't have been out there, basically. And there's no way. I was tying. It was game tying to run home. There's no way to interpret that other than a criticism of your manager or your pitching coach or both. Right. Uh, And I don't know how how the coaches took it, but I saw a couple guys with either direct or loose ties to the Tigers respond to it, or Michigan at large, respond to it and just really went after this guy. So Jared Weaver, 
you know, I'm, I don't know the guy. He certainly had an intensity about him that didn't necessarily make him feel like I want to make him the godfather to my future child. Uh, attacked him hard for saying, like, this is, you know, weak mentality, and I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, Mark Mulder, Michigan State. Wow. Kind of used the the P word I, I, emoji, I think. Uh, and basically said Ooh. like, this is such a soft mentality. You know, these athletes, these pitchers these days, like how can you be so soft and make it to the major leagues these days, blah, blah, blah. And then David Wells, it was like old timers day at Yankee stadium. Uh, David <laughs> oh Wells, God. he didn't talk about this specifically, but he did kind of use like these athletes are coddled nowadays, you know, sort of like oh, yeah, David he, Wells talked about a he lot did, of things he did, this weekend. He did. <laughs> But uh, specific to, like, the players nowadays, he, you know, he talked about, like, you know, players being soft. And he was really talking about the Yankees because he was defending Aaron Boone. You know, whatever. Uh, so, I don't know. I think it's, I think this is an interesting moment in baseball. That's why I bring it up. Because we've, I feel like this is a sign that we've kind of moved on to the next phase of this new way of analyzing the game. Whereas now pitchers are sort of feeling like I shouldn't have, been, like, if you feel like you shouldn't have been out there, that's n- never crossed the mind of anybody that didn't grow up in an analytical era. Nobody, nobody has yeah. ever thought I should yeah. have been out there in the seventh, eighth inning to give up that home run that grew up in the, the Gibson, you know, uh, uh, generation yeah. that grew up in the, Mickey Lolich generation. Like, Mickey Lolich had a bad game seven in 1968. Do you think he would have said, well, I shouldn't even been out there. I was on three days rest, you know? <laughs> no. No, I don't think he would have said that. No, my, my day, like, I, like, one thought is that George Kirby is probably right. He probably should not have been out there. I just happened to have spent a, season, uh, a series with the Seattle Mariners and wrote a story about him for The Athletic. Uh, they were the hottest team in baseball in July and August. And I spent three days around them and they, they have gone three and seven on this last road trip. And I was like, this is really cool. They're a good young fun team. And especially after being a little closer, I was like, I'm really worried that their young pitching is going to burn out. They are putting a heavy burden on four young starters and some young relievers, uh, who have already thrown a lot of innings um scott service has kind of tried to mitigate that wanted to go to a six-man rotation emerson hancock came up and then got hurt so you're back down to five and you have george kirby and your his pitch counts in the 90s so like that's a real concern with the mariners george kirby's probably right he probably should have been out there for one reason or another at the same time george kirby should never say that like i like even if he is right if you are a competitor you should not want to come out of the game and I don't think you should want to show up your teammates or throw a fit if you get pulled. But I, I, I've never heard a player before say, like, yeah, I wanted to come out. Like, yeah, take me out. Like, if, if that is your mentality on the mound, that is not a good mentality to have. Um, so I, I'm kind of with the older school players who are, uh, you know, have no sympathy for this comment. Like, if I if I'm a, his teammate in the clubhouse, if I'm his catcher, like that that the guy you want on the mound, the guy who doesn't think he should be out there, it's not who I want out on he's the mound. He's 25, so he's grown up in a Moneyball era. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I just like that's why. Like I'm not even trying to like criticize him directly, although like I I tend to agree with a lot of these other guys. But like 
if that's how the game is being fought by the young players, like like that's now we've completely changed. We shifted completely. I, I think is yeah is, is my main point there. And is it good? Is it bad? Like I don't know. Like the 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 basic premise would be like, what if what if a what if a pitcher went out and said like, I shouldn't have thrown the curveball. Like and that gave up the home run. That's obviously calling out the catcher. Right? Would you do that? You know what I mean? Like you're. Well, the pitcher has a say in the moment. He can shake. Yeah. His ass could have. He could have refused to go in. You know. Yeah, that that would have been uh, that would have been bad in the moment. Uh, I guess maybe it would have been better <laughs> than giving up a two run bomb. It ends up costing the game though. So. Uh, no, you, you make an interesting point. Like if this is how players are thinking of the game, how does that change the way the game has played at the same time? Like, I guess the old school part of me is just like, if you're a competitor, like you have to block everything else out when you are in the heat of competition. If you want to come out, you know, I guess he did come out later. I don't know. If he gets the guy out, what do you have said after the game? Yeah, well, you know, it's a miracle I even got him out. Like, I, should, right, no. I had 92 pitches. Like, what was I even <laughs> doing out there, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't think he would have said that. So Yeah, I, I just I just think that's and, – and hopefully that doesn't spell even, like, larger problems for the Mariners at large or whatever. Uh, but it was it, – it, it just struck me. It just struck me. And, uh, yes, I can confirm that Jared Weaver used the P word in talking about it. This is, this is a quote from his tweet. This is why I'll never be any kind of coach in the big leagues, to be honest. Well, we weren't sure if he was being honest, but he said, to be honest, I shouldn't I – sh- now he's kind of quoting him. I shouldn't have been out there. I threw 90 pitches. What the F? Embarrassing, truly embarrassing. Go grab your mail parts and let's go to work. Ooh. And then someone uh, – he responded to a couple, and he was like, I can't deal with P words like that. Uh, I'd rather make lunches for my kids every morning than deal with mindsets like that, is what he said. And uh, Mark Mulder, like I said, kind of basically had a similar sentiment. And then, again, David Wells wasn't talking about that stuff, but uh, I'm sure he would agree with them. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure he would have said something like, Nolan Ryan never complained about coming out in 95, you know, whatever. So, uh, interesting moment. I, th- I, I th- Remember this moment, everybody. Remember this moment, because I think I think a shift change has happened. And you don't often get to realize when the shift change happens. I think a shift change has happened. These young guys aren't looking at the game the same way. Should, should I call up David Wells and ask him what he thinks about Spencer Turnbull's cracked <laughs> toenail? Uh, I, I, It'd be I, interesting. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure he would uh, He'd be like, oh, you have a next strain? Who cares? Like, I, I pitched every game hungover. Uh, so, so yeah. Uh, any updates on Turnbull? You brought him up? <laughs> He was supposed to pitch uh, Saturday. He did not. I don't. The Tigers would like him to be pitching. He says his toenail hurts too much. Uh, I'm not 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 really taking sides here. Just going to tell you that that is not a good position for either side to be in. It just I I don't think we're headed no toward a pretty here. I would here. say on this like. He ought to be yeah. pitching. The Tigers could use him pitching. That's basically it. Uh, so yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see how this goes in the off season. Uh, all right, Cody. Anything else you want to get into before we jet out? No, that's good. That's good. Um, I will say this one thing. 
It's not a big deal. Some a, a couple people asked me about it on Twitter, uh, but you know, with the athlete, the news that the athletic is going to be not uh, having like a network of of team pods uh, that does not affect us. We uh, are approved by the athletic. I had to sign a form, but we do not. Uh, we are we're not on their app. We're not on their website, so we're we're relatively independent. But uh, we are approved to do the pod and so this will not affect us really in any fashion so i just wanted to let people know that you know anything like anything i'm not going to speak for the athletic or anything like that but uh yeah yeah so so we were never part of the athletics network for legal reasons because the athletic is my employer had to get clearance basically to do um an outside Mm -hmm. venture and so they had a certain level of like not even oversight but basically you know they were just they had to be aware and sign off for us to do this pod we were never part of the network like um some other detroit podcasts were so really this doesn't affect us um at all yeah we're gonna we're gonna we we're gonna do our thing uh i want to thank everybody for listening following on x formerly known as twitter at cody stavenhagen i am at kieran underscore steckley Pod page at Turn Corner Pod, YouTube Turn the Corner Podcast, subscribing to the Athletic for Cody and all of his colleagues. Great work, and as well as any five star reviews you feel to, feel so inclined to throw our way. So appreciate it, everybody. Thank you for listening, and have a great week. Yeah.